Welcome to Main Menu for October 23rd, 2010. I'm Jamie Pauls. This week, we bring you the first part of a Tech Talk presentation by Rick and Deb Lewis, who broadcast on ACB Radio Interactive, as well as their station, Ride Radio. Rick and Deb discuss many aspects of internet broadcasting. There is something here for everyone, whether you are strictly a listener, a beginning broadcaster, or someone thinking about running your own internet radio station. And now, here are Rick and Deb Lewis with this week's feature. This evening here on Tech Talk on AccessibleWorld.org, we're, well, we're very pleased to welcome Rick and Deb Lewis. Uh, many of you may know Rick and Deb through Ride Radio, and as you know, uh, Ride Radio uh, does present some wonderful entertaining music and countdown programs and just, just very good music. So this evening, Rick and uh, Deb are going to share uh, maybe some behind the scenes of how uh, Ride Radio operates and maybe where they get uh, uh, their information and uh, I know they do a lot of research and so on. So at this time I'm very pleased to turn the microphone over to Deb and Rick. Uh, microphone is yours, both of you. Thank you, Marcia, and uh, thank you for the invitation to do this, and hello to everyone. I didn't say hi to everybody individually because I was afraid I was going to leave people out. <laughs> so hi to uh, all those who are left in and left out. Uh, Deb is here as well. I am. I'm Rick Lewis. She's Deb, obviously. And I thought the first thing we should probably talk about is our, our broadcasting history. I mean, our individual broadcasting history. I have 20 years basically off and on, but mostly on in the professional broadcasting field as far as terrestrial radio goes. I've done Top 40, I've done Country, I've done Oldies and a little bit of Adult Contemporary, and you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that for a lot of years. So the desire was certainly there to do internet broadcasting but when things were taking off and the first internet radio stations were established I was still in dial-up land and uh, therefore I didn't really feel that I could broadcast with the kind of quality that I would have wanted to uh, broadcast with and and really the uh, the chance to do it uh, I thought really wasn't quite there as much for me personally so I got involved in 2003, which is when I started broadcasting on ACB Radio Interactive. And Deb followed uh, shortly thereafter. Actually, uh, of course, uh, she can explain her history, but she, uh, she kind of came along uh, in the broadcasting thing about a year later. Deb? Well, I actually uh, did my initial broadcasting also in uh, terrestrial radio at a, a small-town radio station and um, worked on weekends as a part of a high school communications class. And we did uh, copywriting and 
also a lot of on-air work. I worked mostly in the uh, advertising area, so I had lots and lots and lots of jingles. So even though I was only there a few weeks or a few uh, hours during the weekend, uh, you heard me all week long if you uh, <laughs> were so fortunate as to pick up this whopping 250-watt uh, station, So <laughs> such as it was. Sunrise to sunset. And uh, sunset, of course, got pretty early in part of the winter. And uh, then I went on to uh, college and decided not to pursue radio after looking into it pretty carefully. She wanted to make money. I needed a job that would pay some bills, so I uh, decided to uh, do other things. I actually went into just about as bad an idea. I went into music, which also doesn't usually pay the bills, so I ended up in uh, social worky things and later in technology. But I never really lost the uh, interest in uh, broadcasting and was pretty interested in the notion of uh, Internet broadcasting, but uh, didn't uh, take it seriously until 2004 when I had the opportunity to uh, broadcast on um, ACB Radio Interactive and uh, got started over there. And, and The Wave. Uh, and The Wave also, which was uh, Jonathan Mosen's station at that time. In fact, I did my first formal broadcast um, f other than on my own server practicing of at The Wave and then subsequently, about a month later, uh, went to uh, ACB Radio Interactive when uh, the wave decided it was um, going to not be able to be a viable option anymore. So I was very fortunate to uh, do ACB Radio Interactive, and I really wanted to be there, so I got up for my program every Monday morning at 5 a.m., just like you should. So <laughs> it was like a before-work show. It was a, <laughs> a before-work endeavor, and I en ended up, after a while, being on three mornings a week at 5 in the morning, broadcasting before I left for work. So uh, it made a long day. In fact, when she started doing Internet radio, I think it can be told, that uh, she did an ACB radio program at uh, 5 o'clock on Monday morning, and then later on that day did a program on the wave at 7 o'clock at night for three hours. Right. So she had a long day. I, t I told her at the time, man, you're, you're, putting, you're putting all your eggs in one Monday basket. They're all the same day of the week. You're well, you had to take what you could out. get. Well, that's true. And uh, and so that's that's basically the way we started. And, of course, I was with ACB Radio until uh, August of 2008. And, I, and, and really, uh, you know, we've been back there for quite a while. But, uh, but I was program director for a while, almost a year during that period, during the, uh, the uh, last part of my time there. And, and Deb was very active involving uh, the royalty stuff that was being set up. So we uh, definitely kept ourselves busy at ACB Radio. So the question then would probably logically be, why did we set up the ride? Which we call it the ride. We also call it Ride Radio. We actually can't use the ride on our website. That's a long story. But... The RideRadio.net is the site, and I'll remind you of that as the evening goes on, in case your memories are short. But uh, basically, there were a set of circumstances which prompted us to leave ACB Radio at the time in 2008. And we did get some nice invitations to broadcast. However, uh, we thought about it for a bit and decided ultimately that... Rather than be someone else's boss, rather than worry about the other folks at a station, that we'd start our own and worry about us. There were a lot of 
elements to that. One, oddly enough, was that we were taking care of Deb's friend Anne, and uh, and frankly, I think we needed a little less uh, a little less uh, structure besides ourselves in order to set up the situation that was that was most conducive to what we wanted at that time, and and so we did, and I'll get into the. Uh, uh, the pluses and minuses of having your own versus broadcasting with somebody else as we uh, as we uh, get along. But some of the reasons we uh, that we joined, uh, that we basically started the ride, and boy, was that a fast venture because we left ACB Radio on a Tuesday. We had our own station up and running uh, less than two weeks later, and it could have been even you know, even quicker, I suppose, but we had a few uh, website things that had to be dealt with before we got on the air. But uh, one one element, uh, Deb and I already had a listener base for our shows. We could uh, schedule our times on the ride without worrying about what anybody else had on their schedule. We, we had considered another operation, for example, but uh, there were scheduling conflicts. There were times I wanted to broadcast that uh, they already had uh, filled up, and, uh, you know, so when you do your own, you don't have to worry about it. We also could uh, add on uh, broadcasters who uh, we felt approached things the same way we did. Maybe not uh, completely uh, musically doing the same things, but approached uh, broadcasting with the same uh, professional attitude that we wanted on our station. We also wanted the experience of running our own station. You know, you, you, uh, the only way you can learn to do something sometimes is to just do it. Now, uh, what do we air on Ride Radio? I know uh, there are several people who are new to us and probably don't even know what a Ride Radio is, but know that we're here. <laughs> we air about 85% oldies, primarily 50s and 60s with some 70s. Um, on the on the live show we ex- live shows we expand it a little bit more, but uh, on our automation, which is on when we're not on uh, doing live broadcasting, like I said, primarily fifties and sixties. I play, I think I play more fifties than many other stations do because I think it's important to understand the roots of of uh, the music you're playing, but uh, but still, there's plenty of sixties uh, music as well. In addition, Deb and I do, and I, I counted these, seven shows per week between us. Uh, Deb does more than I do. On the other hand, I do all the, uh, you know, all the planning of the automation and all that stuff so that the rest of the 24-7 programming behind the scenes, you know, it's been gone through and it's been hand-picked. Uh, you know, it's been uh, with the assistance of software, but it basically has been hand-tweaked by me. So... Uh, Deb has a, uh, a contemporary Christian program, a country music program, um, and two oldie shows. And I do a countdown show on Saturday night, uh, kind of a Sunday afternoon oldies and more free for all on a Wednesday night uh, extra edition of oldies and more. So that's uh, seven shows between us. In addition, Lynn and Joe Payton, who are on our staff, are uh, doing three shows, uh, either individually or collectively. Joe does two, and they both do one together. Uh, Joe's joint is on Sundays. It's more of a jazz-oriented show, although it does dabble in other genres. Um, Joe also does the Crock-Pot, which is on Saturdays, and is primarily classic rock. And again, 
Now, I know I say this often, uh, he dabbles in other genres as well on that show occasionally, so you never quite know 100% what you're going to hear. And uh, Lynn and Joe do uh, quite a variety-filled and fun show together on Thursdays called Peyton Place, because that's pretty clever. That's their last name, so they can do Peyton Place. Not spelled the same, but but uh, you get the idea. In addition, uh, Reg Webb, from, uh, also from the London area, does Reg's Good Stuff, which is really a variety-type show. I mean, it really is across the board in just about all formats. If, uh, if he feels it's worth playing, uh, he plays it. It's that simple. And we also broadcast... Uh, actually um, broadcast live the soul express with dj doug and and that is a cooperative effort with the legend and uh, so that is on both stations you can take your pick if you're if you're listening to us on saturday night on the countdown it's all right you can keep listening to us and if <laughs> and if you want to listen to the legend it's that's absolutely okay too on that show because it's because it's in both places so there are some cooperative efforts going on there with the legend, and we'll be uh, also uh, talking a little more about cooperative efforts as we uh, as we go on here. Um, as far as our willingness to air new shows, yes, we are. Uh, boy, there was one I applied to get, and unfortunately I couldn't. But boy, that would have been a nice thing to have. But we are willing to air new shows. But what we want, and this is really tricky because it sounds. It sounds almost discriminatory, I suppose, or discriminating, maybe. But we really want professional, you know, solid broadcasters who are reliable, who know what they're doing, who know what they want to present, how they want to present it, who can already do a good show. Now, we realize that people need to start somewhere. After all, I did. Uh, Deb did, everyone does, uh, but we're not necessarily looking to train newcomers. There are other stations that will do that for you if you want to start out. Of course, if you have that kind of raw natural talent, and I've, yes, I've seen a few people who do over the years, and if you have that kind of raw natural talent that uh, that basically is so good that you don't need to be trained, well, then we might think about it. <laughs> And we're really not looking to add any more non-oldies shows. It, the station is primarily oldies. We've made exceptions for shows that already have a, a pretty good listener base and and come with the same sort of work ethic that we do. Now, the I know I really want to talk about in regard to owning your own station is if you're into this Internet broadcasting thing. Now, of course, a lot of you are listeners, and we'll be talking about those things, too. If you're into this Internet broadcasting thing, you want to start with somebody who already has a station, or you just want to start your own. Take a shortcut. Be your own boss. Uh, do all the ownership things. Or, uh, or basically operate on, under somebody else's umbrella. There are a few things to remember. There are good things and bad things about owning your own station. One of them, one of them. Uh, let's let's cover some of the some of the uh, challenges first. It's a full-time job. It's 24/7. At least that's the way we operate ours. And one of the things is these days, if you're going to be in the internet directories, for example, that internet radios are hooked up with, uh, if they don't, f they'll check for you every once in a while. If they don't find you there, you're out of the directory. <laughs> so it is really a full-time job. 
so we do program 24-7. You also uh, get the uh, privilege, he says in quotes, of being your own engineer. You've got a problem? You may have to find out where that problem is. It may not originate with you, but you still might have to find out where it is in order to alert the right people and make sure the problem is solved as quickly as possible. Or if it does originate somewhere on your premises, you kind of have to figure out where. You don't have to do that if you're operating, at least to that extent, if you're operating on somebody else's station. You don't have to worry about servers or any of that stuff. That's somebody else's job. If you're, uh, if you're new in broadcasting, in general, that means you're probably not going to have a following yet. That also means that it is harder to get listeners in an operation that isn't already established. The benefit of, be of being, say, at an ACB radio interactive, um, also a legend or a mushroom or any of the other, or a ride or any of the other uh, places that people call themselves, uh, is that... The station is already established, and you may get some, some of the following that other folks have by being associated with it. You're totally on your own if you start your own, and that means if you don't have that following, chances are you're going to be talking to no one unless you do something on your station that is so unique that very few other stations are doing it, and you're filling a void that is out there in uh, cyberspace and in terrestrial radio that uh, needs to be filled, in which case people will uh, will certainly come to you because you're offering something that they can't get anywhere else. Of course, if you uh, own your own station, you're also responsible for making sure you apply with uh, comply with copyright and all that stuff. And you know about the DMCA and the Recording Industry Association of America and the CRB, the, you know, the, the Copyright Tribunal, all that stuff, all those things, you're responsible for worrying about that. Now, there are three companies primarily in the U.S. which deal with these copyright issues, and it's best to sign on with one of those three if you're running your own Internet radio station. Uh, Live 365 is the oldest, and it's one of the most expensive, actually, these days. Uh, there is benefit from... They're being the oldest. I think there are more people who come visit them because they know the name Live 365 and know that it has a lot of radio stations associated with it. There is Loud City. That's who we broadcast through, and they handle all the royalties. We pay a monthly fee, and they, they take care of all the royalties. It's our responsibility to get song titles and other information like that up to them, but they're responsible and, and our responsibility to pay our bill, and they're responsible for uh, dealing with the paperwork with the record industry. That's kind of the way we like it. We wouldn't want to have to do all that stuff. Uh, the benefits of owning your own station? Yeah, there's some of those. You can decide what kind of standards you want to implement and make sure they're implemented in as much as you can. And, uh, and you know, if you're working with other staff, you can uh, get other staff who are, uh, who are along the same wavelength that you are. And, and that way you're, going to, you're not going to be working at, at cross purposes, having uh, you do one thing and somebody else doing something else over there that, that you might not think is, is maybe the way it ought to be. And uh, and like I said, um, you do kind of get to be your own boss in a way, although we all have bosses. 
I mean, if you're anybody who who for example has run their own business knows that they have bosses they have customers the customers are bosses to an extent if you don't please them you're not in business for long if the uh, IRS doesn't get the money that they're owed for example if you're working for yourself then you're not in business for long and it's the same deal with owning your own station except you're you're paying royalties for uh, you know for the uh, use of music as opposed to paying the IRS, but it still is the same way. You don't get to, you don't pay your bill. You don't stay in business. Uh, do you have any comments? I've uh, on on these things, Deb. Well, just a couple of things. It seems like uh, maybe we should mention that uh, you men you've kind of mentioned some of the things that might cost you money, but to kind of put them all into perspective and into one sort of place, um, you need a, a broadcasting server, and uh, usually you need to uh, pay for space on that, and that's determined based on the number of listener hours that you anticipate that you will need. And they have ways to help you calculate that, but you pay for that on a monthly basis. We actually have two servers because of the way that we're configured. Um, our live people connect to a survey, a server rather, and our automation picks up the live people in the same way that it manages the rest of the automation. So when you're actually listening to us, it's one server connected to another. So we have to pay for two servers, um, one of which is um, a server to accommodate all our listeners and another of which is to accommodate our broadcasters and then as Rick said we pay the fee for the uh, royalties and the data management to uh, Loud City and then we have um, quite a few uh, computers around here we actually have five PCs that are broadcast ready in some form or other um, but at any given time we have probably three of them uh, deployed so uh, we do have backup equipment for the most part and uh, a variety of things um, we bought software now you can Rick will probably talk more about software but uh, we we purchased software and then the last thing that uh, we have investment in in lots of dollars is music and I know that uh, many people like to, um, you know, download music from various uh, not-so-legal places, and I'm actually not going to be recommending any of those because that's not my job. <laughs> but I will tell you several places that you can buy music um, at, at good prices and, the, and reliable stuff, and, um, and they are uh, very good resources. And the ones that, um, that um, we have used a lot of course, we just use all of the regular things like, um, you know, that, that people might uh, buy music from any, any store, any, anywhere online that you might uh, purchase things from. And we came into this with a pretty sizable and library we, to we begin with. we brought a huge library because we had Rick's library, my library, and um, Anne's library, uh, Anne McKay's library. So we really, and there were a few duplications and even a few triplications in those <laughs> libraries. But for the most part, yeah, we ought to have a contest sometime because we've got a couple of dupes and triples we could give away. But, uh, but for the most part, they weren't duplicated. So it was actually a pretty good uh, deal. We couldn't have probably done too much better for people who had relatively similar taste to uh, manage to have so much non-duplication and triplication. But uh, in addition to all the places that you uh, might uh, buy music, uh, for example, uh, we're big fans of Eric Records, and I think we own all but about two items in the whole collection. 
and we don't have those because we haven't ordered them yet. And you pay, <laughs> you pay full regular CD prices for music like that, frankly. I mean, they're not overpriced, but they are full. And you have to, you know, um, order them and wait for them to arrive. So there's no instant gratification. I can't wait to fill your request while we wait for an Eric record. Oh, that, wait, that waiting stuff is fun. I remember yeah. ordering in uh, <laughs> one, one year, I remember ordering in November yeah. a whole bunch of Christmas items because I wanted to play them on my shows. Yeah, not, when they arrived in January... <laughs> <laughs> you played them anyway. I spent uh, no, so I much money, you know, that I'm going to play these anyway. But but what I was going to say is that there are some some um, other resources that are not full cost resources that that I think are worthwhile. And uh, one of them, of course, is uh, just the regular Amazon MP3 site. And you can uh, set your PC up so that you can actually uh, use your uh, one-click buying with Amazon to uh, purchase albums and, and singles. And they have very good prices on their um, MP3 collection. And it's growing by leaps and bounds, so I'm really impressed. Um, I actually have mine set up as a two-click process because Amazon can verify for you that you have not already bought this because sometimes when you have a huge record collection, you may not remember you've already got something. So I appreciate that Amazon checks with me before it sells it to me again. That's You're sure you want to <laughs> You want to buy that again? again? I was like, no, I've got to find it. We just will take your money. <laughs> yeah, we'll be glad. If you click this again, you're going to get it again, but <laughs> we think you've got it. <laughs> and one of the things that I do with Amazon to help myself is I really update the profile. Um, when they offer me recommendations, I actually fill out all those little things about whether I own it, whether I don't like it, uh, whether I never want to see its face again, all of that um, kind of thing so that Amazon has a very good idea about our record collection and not only can make good recommendations but also can tell me when I already own something even if I didn't buy it from them you've got one of those do you want another one yeah and the answer is once in a while for some really big reason maybe you do yeah maybe so, something's defective maybe right, you lost so, it right which is the case occasionally or something so you can make that choice but at least you're told another um, place that I get a lot of music from for us is emusic.com and that is a subscription service and I highly recommend uh, eMusic. You can buy subscription packs. I'm in the uh, up there, of course, in the sort of preferred customer uh, range. And uh, so my uh, pack allows me to um, download 35 songs per month, plus any bonuses they give me. And they give me quite a few of those, actually. And they give me little assignments like rate three albums or something and we'll give you some more. Okay, okay, okay. Like me on Facebook. Okay, okay, okay. You know, so so whatever it is they want, you know, I'm glad to do it just about. But um, they have a really wide variety of music. Now, their site is not an easy one for beginners. So if you've never downloaded uh, music from a purchase site, you might want to start with Amazon where they are... Um, a little bit more straightforward, but eMusic is a great site, and they do have a wide collection, especially of rare material, and particularly for my country show, a lot of stuff has come from there, so I highly recommend them, and I'd be uh, glad to help anyone who's trying to w work out how to use them accessibly, because it works very well. I will say that both Amazon and eMusic are very, very good about uh, refunding you or restoring downloads to you when you mess it up, assuming you don't do it too much, 
but with both services, I messed up a few when I started, and I got them all back. So I feel good about that. The and, I, yes. and I buy physical CDs, for example, from Half.com, mm-hmm. uh, for example, which uh, both Half and Amazon have the marketplace sellers. You know, you can buy them new, you can right. buy them used, and uh, and often, for example, if something's been uh, out for a few years, you might be able to, well, sometimes it's a king's ransom, and sometimes it's you can buy it for a song. It all mm-hmm. depends on what the material is. If you're collecting, for example, music from the uh, 90s and 2000s, uh, then uh, often there's, you know, people have warehouses full of these right. CDs that haven't sold. You can buy them for 99 cents. It costs you more to ship it yeah. than it does to buy it. So, uh, you know, there's also that to consider. So, and eBay is also a fine place to buy CDs. Yeah, well, Half.com is, is owned part by of, eBay. It's part of eBay. And, so there, and then the other item that we've used is uh, uh, some of the record clubs. We've used the uh, Columbia Record Club in particular. And, um, and we've been in that one long enough now that even though I'm actually not an active member and I don't have to buy an album a month anymore, anytime I'd like to, I can go buy an album at their um, at their record club prices, so I have a lifetime option to do that from having been at that for like 20 years. So <laughs> that works too. But she doesn't are, have preferred stock yet. But no, but there are a really great variety of sources um, out there for getting music at less than really commercial prices, and, and that's part of what you know we can do. Absolutely. So. If you have the broadcasting bug and you just want to start out, where do you do it? Well, my feeling actually is, and this is what I did, but but I actually had no idea when I started that I was going to be running my own station with Deb, uh, our own station. But I absolutely recommend the approach of, of going with an established broadcaster first as opposed to starting your own. First of all, that way you can even find out if it's for you. Because, frankly, for some people it's not. Some people, they find, for example, that they love music, but they don't get along very well with software or their PCs. Well, and the reality is, in order to be a good broadcaster, you really have to be good with your PC. You really have to be good with your software. You really have to know what's happening. People can't... Now, technical problems happen to any and every broadcaster at one time or another. But if your show consists of mostly technical problems, you're not going to have people coming back to listen to you. Now, people can be forgiving. They know stuff happens. It happens in their own lives. It certainly happens on their own PC. So people cut you some slack. But on the other hand, you know, if you're, if you're sitting there and, well, I don't know what I'm going to play now. Uh, I just played this, but I don't have anything ready to play. Just stand by for... People won't put up with that very long. Uh, You also can learn from others. First of all, you're going to be teaching yourself to a great extent, but there are other people you can learn from at other established stations as opposed to starting your own. Then you're responsible for the whole thing. You better be good at teaching yourself because you're not going to have any help. Also, if you want to experiment with various formats, if your name isn't on the product or you're not worried about your about listener development long term, you can experiment. Maybe, for example, you have the uh, idea of playing because you're really into it, 
Gregorian chant music, and 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 you and you do a Gregorian chant show on someone's station, and find out that no one's listening to it. Well, you can save face. You don't. You haven't started Gregorian radio, and uh, and started paying a lot of bills for it. And you can uh, you can retreat from that if, for example, it's a non-working plan. You won't have the responsibility while you learn. The responsibility is frankly. Pretty daunting, I think, for many folks, even when you have some experience under your belt. So, uh, you know, if you, uh, if you work at a station that's already established, somebody else is responsible for paying the bills, for operating the server. You're just responsible for showing up on time and doing the best radio you know how to do. Of course, there are exceptions to every rule. And if you have something so unique to offer or you're... Uh, maybe you have, for example, less Internet experience but more commercial experience. You know, maybe you're an exception. But th this is general advice I'd give you. There are two kinds of programming generally on Internet radio, automated and live. On an automated station, you know, you have the music that's already pre-programmed and the wheels go around and you don't have any uh, live personalities. Most Internet radio stations are automated. In fact, there are so many automated stations that it's kind of really hard to find your niche. If you, for example, want to play heavy metal music because you want to share your uh, Anthrax collection with the world, chances are there are thousands of other people who've already had the same idea and are doing it, and it's going to be very hard for you to stand out. Now, if you do a live program and you delve in to anthrax. Oh, we all want to delve into anthrax, don't we? But if you do that, then you might bring some people to, the, to uh, listen to you because they know you have something unique to contribute, assuming, of course, you do. Now, of course, we run automated and live programming, both. But the showcase is the live programming. The automation is kind of on to tell people that that the lights are on and there's somebody home. It's not a big draw. Uh, you'll have a few people listening to the automation throughout the day. Some people listen to it at work. That's, you know, really kind of cool. But really, the live shows are the ticket. And, I mean, you can do, uh, you can very easily have five, ten times more people listening to live shows than automated shows. And I think that pretty much stands... Uh, true with every internet radio station that I know of. Uh, quick comments, Dad? Um, well, it, just not too much there. I think um, just thinking about the the whole notion of when you come when you come to the party, sort of being prepared, as Rick was talking about. And I think it's imp incredibly important to have music, or if that's what you're doing, music lined up so that even if you received no requests, if you take requests, or no audience interaction, if you're looking for interaction, but even if n you got none... Or the mail stops working. Or the or mail something. stops working, which happens to us occasionally, or whatever. But no matter what happens, that you are ready to go the whole time, even if nobody participates. Oh, absolutely. So you're not waiting for them. You're not going, oh, my God. I, no. and, and I sometimes joke about, well, I'm out of songs, and, and I might be at the moment because I need to run the software and get but another list. But there are list. songs to but get. But there are songs to get, and I perfectly have a plan and, you know, that. The other thing is it's nice to have, if you are going to do live shows, it's nice to have a plan for what you're going to talk about because when that mic opens and you're just sitting there and you're going, 
oh, well, that was that song, and uh, i got to find another song, and all this other stuff. It's, it's really nice to have a couple of items that you plan to talk about. So it can be about the music. It can be about some trivia. It can be some funny stuff from your personal life, if, if you're okay with sharing that, or uh, make up stuff from other people's lives and start rumors. I don't care what it is you do. Have a plan for what you're going to talk about so when the mic opens, you have some idea and that way if a distraction should come along you are at least a lot more able to recover because you actually thought you had a plan in mind for for what you're going to do and then I think it's good to have a sense of of having breaks um, some people start their live show and the first 45 minutes is music and I'm like I thought we were at a live show and some people are more comfortable talking than others, and they may not have so much to say, or they may have more to say. But I think a rule that we had at ACB Radio Interactive, I think they still have it, but it's one I follow that I think is really good, is that for the most part, you shouldn't go more than about 15 minutes between talking breaks. And uh, it could be lots less, I mean, depending on the atmosphere and what you're doing. But, you know, and if you're running an item that's longer than that, obviously you have to go longer. But, you know, for the most part, just as a guide, you want to have a nice even pace of talking, of playing the music. You don't want to talk for 15 minutes and play a song, unless you're Saturday morning on the ride, where we sometimes do. <laughs> but for the most part, unless you're doing a, a, a show that's that style, then, you know, you want to pretty much keep things paced. But um, I think that's what helps hold people is is that kind of even pacing and that sense that, you are being taken along on a journey together that you aren't being just sort of, oh, yeah, i got to remember them out there. And every time you open the mic, not sort of saying the same thing over like, oh, it's great to have you here. I hope you're here. Oh, I think one of you is. You know, don't do that. And, <laughs> and my last item on this one is um, you may be at a station where you know how many listeners you have at any given time. Some people don't know. Keep it a secret. But if you know, don't tell anyone. Because, first of all, no one knows how to judge that but you. And so if you said, wow, today I have 500 listeners. And if your audience thought, gee, that's weird. I always thought they had about 1,500. But, or if you came and you said, today I only have one listener. And then they're going, well, it's not going to be me. So <laughs> the point being, you know, people don't know how to judge what is a reasonable number of listeners for your format, for where you are, for the time of day you are, for where you are in the world, for how much advertising you've done, for how much bandwidth is being paid for. There are a whole host of factors that can play into that. And it's very interesting for you, if you have access to that information, to keep track of it and compare it with yourself. But don't be comparing yourself to anyone else and don't be sharing that information with the audience because they don't know what to do with it. Oh, the other thing is, and, and then the question becomes, how do you get listeners? If you're broadcasting, how do you get listeners? Oh, I think you should pay them. <laughs> oh, maybe not. <laughs> well, one thing is to, to be reliable, to show up. To give them a quality broadcast every time you show up. To give them all you got. Now, we all know, heaven knows that there are some days you've got more in the tank than other days. I mean, it's just that simple. Some days are... Some days